Genesis. I'm going to read, I'm going to do uh, Genesis, the 24th chapter. I want to uh, share something. I rarely read an entire text, but there are some things here that I want to uh, focus on and bring to your attention. The past seventh, this is the seventh week that we've talked about the eight keys for experiencing the the divine connection in 2016. I I have a stake here to remind me that when man mailed, when man nailed God to the cross, there was a connection, and at that foot of that cross, bathed by the blood of Jesus, we connect with God. I believe that we are in the year 5,776, and I believe that this is the year of divine connection, the number six, the word vat means to connect as a shower curtain would hang on a shower rod, the, the rod of the things of God, the curtain is us. That connection, I believe, is our faith and our trust in the fact that God really does care and he really does love us and he really wants to see great things, good things happen for us. And if you accept that, that's half the challenge. You're halfway there. If you really believe that God loves me, cares about me, wants me to do well, then mentally and spiritually and mostly you're halfway there. Then there's some steps how to pursue God and the things of God. And we shared with you seven weeks ago about the importance of keeping your vision in front of you. We took just a few minutes and talked about vision. And uh, later in the month, I would like to spend a little bit more time on vision. But I am reminded that uh, when we went to New York City to spend a couple of days there uh, celebrating Courtney's uh, uh, birthday and had a friend with us, and uh, we went on a ride on a carriage there downtown New York. If you've ever been downtown New York, you know that it's like Hong Kong at 3 o'clock in the morning. It never sleeps. There's bustle. There's things going on. There's a singing naked cowboy. There's the, all, this, all, the, all this stuff there. And so there's a lot of distractions as you walk down the streets of New York City. But these horses have blinders to the right and to the left of their face that the only place they can see is straight, is straight ahead. And they're focusing on their vision. We know that an ox has the ability to do a tremendous amount of work. And if you put two ox together, you don't get twice as much, but you get four times as much. Hard to explain. But that farmer will take a, a stick and he will extend it past the two cattle in the middle of them. And there he will hang a carrot. And those oxen are motivated to do twice as much as they normally would have done, motivated by that carrot. It's important to know a small piece of your vision or to determine a piece of your vision and keep that vision in front of you, speaking it, declaring it, making steps to pursue it. The second thing that we talked about six weeks ago was how to run your race, how to run your race. Today we'll be talking, uh, the thought of the title today, Austin, just for you, is that our teamwork, say that our teamwork will make the dream work. Our teamwork will make the dream work. I believe God puts us together. The, the uh, four-minute mile was unheard of. It was impossible to break that four-minute barrier. It was humanly impossible until about 15 years ago. There was a miler that paired up with two of his friends. Ironically, all their names were Jim. And as they got ready to break this record to run this mile, the, the mile is four times around the track. And the first two times around the track, Jim ran with Dr Jim and kept him strong and kept him focused. And then the, on the third lap, Jim backed off, and another Jim 
begin to join the race, obviously fresh and full of energy. And he helped the, the first gym to successfully break the four minute. I think it was three minutes and 54. It was quite a feat. The world clapped, and they should have. It was a great accomplishment. But it would not have been accomplished had he not had the help of the other two. So your teamwork, our teamwork, makes the dream work. Amos said, how can two walk to get walk except they walk together? And I'm reminded there's been some fun in younger days. I remember being involved in a sock in a uh, sock race, I think is what they call it. You join up with somebody and you put your right leg and they put their left sack race. Thank you, sack race. Yeah, one left leg and one right leg. They tie the legs together and then they race and they have to coordinate. It doesn't matter how fast either one of them is. If they don't coordinate working together, they will fail and fall or fall and fail, whichever comes first but when they get that down when they get that 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 focus they begin to run that race and win that race how can how can two lay together except they stay warm and if one comes under attack the other one is there for him and then we know that a threefold cord is not easily broken the word says if two or three of you will agree in my name i was with quite a uh, scholar yesterday and we begin begin to talk about the church and he looked at me and said you're not the church, I'm not the church, but the two of us together, we are the church. And we're two or three gathered in his name. God has not just promised to be there, but has promised that all things work together for the good of them who are the called according to his purpose. And so God gives us his purpose. We pursue that. We agree. I help you as you help me. It's kind of like I scratch your back, you scratch my back. What if that means? I never really liked anybody to scratch my back. But I'm sure that Paul and Cynthia enjoy scratching one of his back as they're getting ready to step into the holy vows of matrimony. Congratulations. God bless you. We're so proud of that, and we want to hear more about that later. But that's what, that's what covenant is all about. That's what marriage is all about. That's what family is all about, working together for the common good to pursue excellence or good things that has been promised to us, which brings us to our third point. Expect God to bless your effort. Lemuel Miller, world, cramp, world karate champion, defeated Chuck Norris in tournament, taught us years ago, if we make the effort, God will bless the effort. If we, if we exert the energy, God will bless that energy. And when we get together, together we begin to operate, God gets right in the middle of it. I saw something on Facebook uh, today that said, when you put everything in God's hands, eventually you'll see God's hand in everything. What a powerful truth. And if you do that together, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a covenant, whether it's a business, whether it's friendship, whether it's prayer, whether it's work, when you join in with somebody, not only can you get a lot more done, but you motivate one another. A weightlifter will have two weightlifters standing behind him, screaming at him, telling him that he's a whatever he is and try to give a bad time and encourage him to do that extra weight. And that's what teamwork is all about. We talked about uh, four weeks ago, we talked about Having a positive mindset. Having a positive mindset. Some people see the cup half empty. Some people see the cup half full. Where they're discussing whether it's half empty or half full. Pastor Todd, I drink it. That's expecting good things to happen when you make the effort and when God is involved in it. The uh, the three weeks ago we talked about committed to excellence. Being I mean that was last week. Committed to excellence. Whatsoever you do, do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. So it's a team, not just us, but it's the Lord getting involved. In Hebrews 2 and 12, the Bible tells us that when we gather together, 
Jesus joins us, and in the midst of the church, he sings praises to God. And when the Lord takes our worship and adds his, and adds his two cents to it, it goes immediately to the throne of God, and we're received not because of our ability, not because of our talent, not because of our gender, not because of our denomination, but God receives it because Jesus is involved. Aren't you glad that Jesus is that church of God, alto, knows how to blend in, knows how to harmonize, and knows how to bless us and make us sound good? We talked about growing, consistently growing in the things of God, reading books, listening to takes, being around people, asking, asking people how they accomplished, how they did things. The older women are to encourage the younger women how to have a healthy marriage, how to raise their kids. The Bible says, for this cause shall a man leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. But it never says, for this cause shall a woman leave her mother and father, but the woman is to have her mom involved in her life to help her with all the stuff that her mom helped her with. Do I have an amen in the building? And I said, wouldn't it be a joy? I, I told Mickey today, who is uh, Linda Jarvis's son, he has dropped everything he's been doing. In the past three months, he's done nothing but serve his mom. Now she's at home. He's cooking and he's cleaning. I said, how ironic that our parents live long enough to put us through some of the hell that we put them through. Can anybody relate to that? And so we thank God for that, 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 that attitude of, of, of growing. Today we're going to talk about the ability to serve others. And next week, as the Lord allows, or week after, we might talk about being passionate in the things that are holy, being passionate in the things that are pure. When I think about serving one another, and I think about teamwork, I go to Genesis, the 24th chapter, and uh, here we're going to find Abraham, who's operating in covenant, only has one son. God told him his seed would be as the sands of the sea, as the stars of the sky. And uh, Abraham is 100, uh, 120 years old, and he has only one son. But Abraham has determined that the environment that he's in, he doesn't want his son to take a wife from that environment. How ironic, we'll go to a bar to get a date, but we go to church to get a bride. I don't know, thank you, Pastor Todd, for that strong, well, that strong, amen. But, it, but it, is, it is interesting how that dad observed the future of his son and did not want his son participating in that particular generation or that particular genre. So, so Abraham gets his eldest servant who was lord over all the areas of Abraham's life. And I think what is I. I know the name of this servant, but in this passage, there is no name. If you do everything for plot, for plot, plot and pomp, pomp and, and it's all about people recognizing you and, and you hearing your name, you're probably going to get all of your reward here on earth. But the Bible says if you give, and I shared this, and Pastor Ron, I don't know if you were with me, but I shared this truth on a Sunday morning in a church that we had. We were going into the second week of revival, and I said, I was talking about plain sense, making common sense, don't seek any of the sense. And I was talking about rewards. And I said, you know, so many times God gives us effective ways to be blessed, and we just blow right over it. But here's what the Word says. The Word says, if you give a cup of cold water, and that was a hassle in that generation to get cold water. It had to be drawn from a certain spring that was deep in the earth that was, that was ice cold. But he said, if you give a cup of cold water, to a prophet, you will receive a prophet's reward. If you give a cup of cold water to a leader in the kingdom, you receive that leader's reward. I said, you know what? We really don't believe that because if we believe that and you believe that I'm a prophet or I'm a man of God, then this, this altar here will be lined up with cups of cold water. 
it was a large church that night, Susan. There was probably over 80 cups of ice cold water with ice in it on the plat. And you know what I took the time to do? You remember? I took a drink out of every single one of them to, to, to show them that just, just simple faith, simple childlike faith, simple obedience to the things that God lays down that God will bless and God will favor us. So in this story, this is a great story, but the name of this servant is not mentioned. He's a servant of no name, but he does what Abraham tells him. Abraham tells him, I don't like this environment. I want you to go to my, my land, and I want you to select a bride for my son. Now, I don't know, Paul, how would you feel about your dad or your mom selecting your bride for you? You probably wouldn't go with that. I doubt that Cynthia would go with that either. But that generation, the parents had a lot to do with selection of their, of their in-laws, of their, of their children. And there's still some moms today that stick their nose in where it doesn't belong. Hello. Do you have a friend in the house? Someone always has an opinion about the person you're going to marry. And Pastor Ronald will tell you that when we started dating, many went to her mom and told her mom that I was a rat, that I was a drug addict, that I was bad influence. I was, I was all of it. And I, and I probably was. And her mom was, prob mom was probably right. But nanny, nanny, boo-boo, she married me anyway. There you have it. Genesis 24, as, as the man of God gets ready to head out to find a wife for his, his Lord's son, Here's what happens, verse 10. And the servant took ten camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. In other words, all the goods he had were his master's. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor. And he made his camels to kneel down within the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, Send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Notice, if you will, it wasn't about him, but it was about his father, his spiritual father, Abraham. And he said, Oh, and, and behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. Let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall pray, I shall say, Lay down thy pitcher, I pray thee that I may drink, and she shall say, Drink. And I will give thy camel drink also. Let the same be she that has appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast shown kindness unto my master. What a crazy, crazy prayer. I mean, it's like Gideon who prayed that let the ground be wet and the fleece be dry. And then let the fleece be wet, let the ground be dry. I mean, how crazy is that? And it reminds me of some of the crazy prayers that we pray. Some of the some of the crazy prayers, maybe to win the lottery. I guess it's not that crazy if you win the lottery. But there are some times that we, we get out there and we will really, really stretch our faith. And we'll really push the boundaries back and we'll enlarge, like, like Pastor Rana said, enlarge the square footage, expecting God to do more because he is able to do that. This man of God asked God for, first of all, a young lady to give a stranger a drink of water and you all know that mom told us that we are never to talk to strangers. Hello. So to give this stranger a, a drink of water, not only him, but his 10 camels. Now, I didn't do the research. It was done for me. But I have learned that those camels in that trek had the ability to contain 30 gallons of water. If, it, if that camel took 30 gallons of water, you multiply that by 10 and you get 299 inflation. Yeah. Oh, never, never, never mind. You multiply that, you multiply 30 times 10, and you get 
300 gallons. The Bible's going to tell us how she gets this water, but this amazing young lady probably drew several gallons of water out of this well into her pitcher, into the trough to water the camels of the men of God. And it came to pass before he was done speaking. How crazy is that? God has the answer before you even ask the question. Look at somebody say, God has the answer before you even ask the question. He knows exactly what you need, exactly where you're headed. And if it's God's will, it's God's bill, it may sound crazy. It may sound far-fetched, but God will honor. If God spoke it, he won't just honor it, but he will back it up with all the angels in heaven to make it come to pass. And the servant ran to meet her. Back up. She was very fair to look upon, a virgin. Neither had any man known her. And she went down the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my Lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when he had, she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. Look at somebody say, that was a lot of water. This is not your little uh, girl in lace. This is a girl that had been raised on a farm. This is a girl that knew how to take care of animals. This is a girl that was not afraid to work. And I like that attitude. She hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again in the well to draw water and drew for all of his camels. I'm, I'm going to stop right there. There's some other great things in this story, but that's just that's the point I want to make right there. Without any any realization, in just a few minutes, he's going to give her over a thousand dollars worth of gold. She didn't do it motivated by money. She didn't do it motivated by power or by reputation. She did it because that was the kind of girl that she was. That was the kind of girl that, that God had raised up to marry Isaac, to birth his children, to, to increase the kingdom of God, to raise up the Jewish nation. As, as she ministers to him, he asks about a place to stay, and he will take an, an earring, a gold earring, and he'll take two gold bracelets, if you do the math there, the shekels of gold. It was over $1,000 of gold that he placed in her hand and rewarded her on the spot for ministering to the camel. I'm going to tell you what, there's no effort that you make that God won't bless. And he that lendeth to the poor lendeth to the Lord, and the Lord will repay. Not the poor will repay, but the Lord will repay. You cannot, no good deed goes unnoticed. You cannot do something in the kingdom for the kingdom's sake now, sometimes we think that we are eagles sitting on hummingbirds' nests, when in reality, we are hummingbirds sitting on eagles' nests. And sometimes we think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And sometimes we think we should get more recognition, more applaud, more favor. We think that, but I would rather have the favor and the wink of God than all of the applaud of Fox News. I would rather have God's hand in my life than Donald Trump, than anybody else in my life because that's the way when you give your heart to God and pursue the things of God and become a disciple, that's the way we're wired. We are wired to meet the needs of others. We are wired to bless somebody else. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. I've heard that preached so in incorrectly. The point is the more you give is the more you receive. So obviously it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. 
But when you make an effort in the kingdom of God and God blesses that effort, God rewards us and he smiles upon us. And what a wonderful blessing. And when I think about our leader, the most influential man that ever lived in the, in the course of time, would anybody like to guess who that is? Jesus Christ, obviously. The most influential man that ever lived, that was ever born of a woman, that ever died and rose from the grave. But Jesus fed his disciples, paid their taxes, make sure they had clothing, and then one day when they had traveled, they had sandals, they were on dusty roads, there was no asphalt, no concrete. These guys walked everywhere they went. If they walked, their feet were dusty, they were maybe sweaty and crusty, and they were probably ugly, and one of them probably needed that, uh, what's that commercial that, uh, anyway, that foot fungus commercial. Some of them probably had foot fungus, some may have had I mean, I mean, who knows what their, their feet may have stunk, who knows, stank, whatever the word is, the correct, stinketh, by now it stinketh, that their feet were, were stinky. And you know what? Jesus sat down and washed all of the disciples' feet because that was the servant he was, and that's the example he set for us, that we are to serve and we are to bless one another. Do I have a, a friend in, in the house? Some practical, some practical, some practical ways on how, we can serve others or how we can be a blessing to others. The number one way, I believe, personally, to bless or serve anybody else, are you ready, is to pray for them. I really believe that is, that's better than giving them a $100 bill. That's better than mowing their lawn. That's the best possible thing you can do is to pray one for another. And when Job went through his storm, and God told Job to pray for his friends, who they weren't all that great of friends, but Job prayed for them anyway. And when God, when Job prayed for his friends, God turned his negative around, turned it into a double, blessed him, honored him, gave him several years to live and see not just his children, his children's children, but his children's children's children. God allowed Job to have a long, healthy, prosperous life because he was not afraid to pray for someone that really wouldn't even, in my, wouldn't even qualify as a friend. And that's why Jesus said, bless, love your enemies and bless those that curse you. It's so tough to do that, but knowing that God is watching, and as God watches, God will respond, and God will bless your effort and honor you. Why? Because we have obeyed him. I think about, I think about on Wednesday night, staying a little later, tearing the t tables down, setting the chairs up, getting everything ready, coming by the church once or twice a week, pulling some weeds, mowing some lawn, working, seeing something needs to be painted, see something needs to be moved. Seeing a piece of trash that needs to be picked up. There's so many ways that we can help somebody. Uh, opening the door. I know that sounds silly, but I was raised as a young child to honor. Not that the, uh, the, the ladies are, are weaker. And if you think they are, watch Terminator, Sarah Connor. She could hold her own as well as any grown man. Look at Tomb Raider. Look at Supergirl. I, could ha I have a long list of girls that they didn't really need the help, but it was honoring them by opening the door. I, not on once or twice, but several, several occasions, I'll be leaving Walmart and I'll see some, somebody that's bought a, they bought a swing or they bought a lawnmower or whatever. <coughs> I remember, <coughs> excuse me, I remember at Lowell's seeing a girl had about like four or five bags of dirt and she probably was stronger than me. I have two broken ribs. She was probably stronger than me, but I went out of my way to pick that dirt up and set it on her car. Why? Because there was something inbred in me as a child to serve others, to bless others, be a blessing to others. And, I, and I'm, I'm glad my parents raised me that way. You know, I think about one way to serve and one way to bless is to invest in ministry, is invest in ministry. 
Jesus said, I was hungry, you fed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was in prison, you came to see me. God, we ne we never, no, Lord, we never saw you naked. We never saw you hungry. We never saw you in prison. He said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. And when you sow in the kingdom of God, and when you walk in the obedience of tithing. Tithing is not a suggestion. It's a command. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness there of the world, and they that dwell therein. Everything belongs to God. 410 Ash Drive belongs to God. 3900 Atkinson Drive belongs to God. I mean, we may cut it up. Now they're trying to sell parcels on the moon. How crazy is that? And I just learned that you can buy your own star and name it and, and, name it and be a, 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 a documented name to that store. How silly we are that we try to hoard and hide when everything belongs to God. It's the town of the three, the five, and the one. The guy that had five realized it was the Lord's, turned around and doubled it. The guy that had three realized it was the Lord's and turned around and doubled it. And the guy that had one dwindled it, did absolutely nothing with it, made no impact, made no significant difference in anyone's life. And when God judged him, God judged him harshly. That was a harsh judgment for him to be cast out into outer darkness where there's wheeling, wheeling, weeping and, see, wheeling and wapping, wheeling and wapping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, that that's a pretty... God, that's a pretty tough thing. God does not want your ability to go unused. God does not want your ability to use un, un, unwatered, un, un, unfocused. And the greatest of all accomplishments are not in the White House. They're not on the mission field. It wasn't Mother Teresa. It's not Billy Graham. But the greatest accomplishments of life are in a cemetery. Where there on that tombstone is a date they were born and the date they died and a slash in between which represents nothing they really accomplished for the kingdom of God because they were too focused on their own thing. We're focused as children. We're focused in, in, in senior citizen. It's all about us. Listen, Walmart's all about us. Kentucky Fried Chicken's all about us. Red Lobster is all about us. Our whole life is all, is it comfortable? Is it pleasant? Do you like it? But when you begin to pursue the kingdom, you realize there are tribulations, there are frustrations, but be of good cheer for he has overcome them all. Do we have a hand clap of appreciation for the Lord? The book of Malachi is a prophetic book. It talks about the last days where God turns the hearts of the children back to the fathers, the hearts of the fathers back to the children. God addresses tithe and offering once or twice a week, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, and then throughout the week, we have opportunity in obedience to sow in the things of God. There are those that take their tithe money and do other things, feed the widow and, and, and take care of ministry. They feel like they're in the right thing because that's the abundance of their heart, but they're not doing the right thing because tithing is a moment of trust. Tithing is all about trust. Tithing is all about bringing 10% of your gross or whatever you choose to bring to the house of God, and you trust the leadership that God has placed over you to disperse that money effectively and carefully in a way that people would be blessed. We've had people in our church that have quit this church because you can go online and you can join a church for the obese, absolutely, and you can read their sermons on the computer and you can mail your money off to them. The Bible never says... The Bible never says send your, your tithe. It says bring it. Tithing is something that you're involved in in a local house. That local house is hopefully making some kind of difference in the city. And I got to thinking about some of the things just recently, just a few months ago, we took upon ourselves to feed a family that don't have the ability to feed themselves with a Thanksgiving dinner. And mentally I did just a tab of all the stuff brought. Over $500 worth of groceries 
was brought to this house to bless that family, not just that day, but many days to follow. And then I, and then I think about Christmas. We have a family attached to our church that they've not been here in a while. They, they, the, the kids come once in a while, but those three kids had absolutely no Christmas. They probably would not have had a gift under the tree. This church responded. We collected over $300, and we were able to provide a Christmas to those three kids and to bless those three kids. We just become a part of a ministry that uh, bring, when it gets 30 below, they I'm sorry, below 30, freezing, they open up their church, they have food, they have, they have bunks, they have sleeping bags where they can sleep. We not only took up an offering to buy socks and underwear for everyone that will visit that center this year, but we gave 15 coats, good coats, coats that have been brought, not, 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 not junk coats. We gave good coats to, to, to women that need a coat to stay warm. Go ahead and give yourself a hand clap of appreciation because that's what, that's what you do. We, we, we celebrate marriages. We're there for weddings. We're there for wedding showers. I think about the uh, yesterday, this church paid my way Friday night. I drove five and a half hours one way, two tanks of gas, two stops at McDonald's, $70 motel. Got the cheapest motel in town. Got up yesterday morning, 630. I was at the prison gate at 8, and I ministered till 1130 there at the prison. Drove home, 11 hours uh, travel time four tanks of gas, uh, four stops at McDonald's total. I could not have done that had this church not been, been involved in celebrating the ministry of this church. A few, years ago, a few weeks ago, we left this church in healthy hands. We went to one of my spiritual sons in Russellville, Arkansas, uh, Alabama. Pastor Ron preached Saturday night, Sunday night. I preached Sunday night, Saturday, uh, Sunday morning. They are still Facebooking us on the results of those three particular meetings. We could have never done that had this church not allowed us to do that. I'm preaching better than you're, than you're clapping. That's okay. Wednesday night, we had a woman come completely broke, no money, no nothing. We gave her money for food. We followed her out, followed her to the gas station and made sure the money went into the gas tank. That doesn't happen once a year. It doesn't happen once a month. It happens about once a week. And if we met every need that we were asked to meet that we get on the church phone, we would not be able. We try, don't we? But almost every day there's a call. Do you have food? Do you have clothing? Do you have, do you have gas? Do you have a job? And that happens because you're faithful in your tithe, God's tithe, rather, and your offering. I wrote down here things that are important. The electric bill is important. Insurance on the building is important. Insurance on the vehicles is important. I mean, just a thought, just a, just a possibility. And then I think about Queen for a day, a ministry right now that will probably, as it con continues to do, domino, a ministry that will probably bless the world at one time or another, will bless the world. Matter of fact, I do believe that Ron Phillips' wife took this concept to another country, Germany, and, that, and what God gave us. We didn't get that from anybody. We didn't read in a book. We didn't see somebody else do it. We birthed it. God birthed it in us because he could trust us with it. And through the years, we have blessed thousands, thousands of ladies. I will be in a gas station or be somewhere, and I'll have somebody. I do not remember them. I do not recognize them, but they will grab me. They won't let me leave until they tell me about their, their picture or their dress or their whatever. That's who Jesus would have ministered to. That's what he'd have done with his tithe. That's what he would have supported. A church that's not afraid to touch a community. A church that's not afraid to sacrifice a little and go with less. That someone else might be blessed or someone else. I, I remember uh, a few years ago, she went on to be with the Lord 
uh, lifelong friends. Zona Hayes had a home for unwed mothers, um, 12, 13 bedrooms, an incredible ministry. We started sewing in her. I called her. I said, Zona, what's going on? What do you need? She said, Hank, this house desperately needs carpet. The house was 6,000 square foot, and with the exception of the kitchens and the bathrooms, it was all carpet. I said, Zona, not only will we buy and supply the carpet, but we'll take the old carpet out and we'll haul it off. And that carpet is in that home today because somebody in this house trusted this pastor enough to put their money in the offering and say, I trust God. I trust my church. I believe God is going to make a way for me because I've been faithful. And see and look how good God has been. We love the Esther Project. We love the ones that you're clapping a little weak. That's okay. We love, we thank you. You said to clap today for 30 seconds. We only went for 23. I counted just to see how many. So we still owe God seven seconds of, can we just give, for your, for your involvement in ministry, the Hope House, all the things. Are, can you give yourself a hand clap of appreciation of your faithfulness, your consistency, and your love for God? Serving one another. Making something happen for somebody else. I've shared with you this soldier, Civil War, blistering cold, freezing weather. Confederate soldier got separated from his army, was wandering in the snow, freezing literally to death, walked as far as he could walk, did all he could do, decided to sit down and die. He sat down on what Maria he thought was a log, and when he sat on it, he began to move, and he dug the snow and ice away, and there was a Union soldier that had already given up. Somehow this Confederate soldier, although... He decided to lay down and die, got enough energy, got the snow dug away, got this soldier on his enemy, got this soldier on his feet. They began to wander, and less than 100 yards from that point, they stumbled upon the Union camp where there their lives were spared. They were fed, they were warm, and they lived another day. Why? Because somebody made something happen for somebody else. I read a story today, um, yesterday rather, I read a story yesterday about a couple that spent 60 years of their life in Africa. 60 years of their life in Africa. The door opened for them to come back to the States. Obviously, in that generation, there weren't any planes. Everything was done by boat. And as they got on the boat, leaving Africa, coming to America, they realized they were on the boat with Teddy Franklin. I'm sorry, Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt had been hunting in Africa, big game, and when they sailed in the port there at Miami, there were thousands of people. There were hundreds of banners. There were balloons. There were cheers. There were clapping. Everybody was, everybody was clapping and cheering. Teddy Roosevelt has come back from hunting, and everybody made a big hoopla and a big deal. And the, the, the husband looked at his wife and said, you know what? This kind of bothers me. He said, we've just given the Lord 60 years of our life, and when we get, when we get back, there's no hoopla for us. And later that night, he said that to God. He said, God, we've given you the best years of our life, and when we get back, there's no, no one's there to greet us. Nobody even knows that we were gone. Nobody even knows that we're back. To God, it doesn't seem fair, and God said it isn't. He said, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. If no one ever acknowledges, no, no one ever gives you a letter of appreciation, no one ever thanks you, there's an angel in heaven, and all he does is take notes. And all he does is write down in the book of memorial. The Bible says there's a book of memorial that God begins to write down, the angel begins to write down, and God gets up and looks at those things and remembers he forgot to reward you, he forgot to, he forgot to bless you, and he opens the window and he pours out upon you. You say, prove it, absolutely. Esther's husband 
couldn't sleep, got up, went through the books, saw that Mordecai had done something years earlier to spare his life. Mordecai found a, a plot to assassinate the king. He went to the right authorities. They found the assassin and, 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 and dealt with them. The king said, what did I do for this man that saved my life? He did nothing. He forgot. On that next morning, he got up and did a decree and said, this man, Mordecai, is to be honored above honor, taken around the city, acknowledged, blessed, offerings. God never forgets. I'm telling you, God never forgets. And right now, there's a, th- there's a, there's a scenario going on. A dear friend of ours could be released from prison. His sentence was 67 years. It's been eliminated to 47. He just served 13 years, seven months. He will die in prison if something doesn't happen. There's a Supreme Court bill, that, a Supreme Court trial that was passed that will exonerate him, that will release him, and the judge has heard it. Now, the judge has got to respond. You know, I pray every day. Father, wake that judge up in the middle of the night. Let him not be able to sleep. Let him wonder why he's awake. Then bring the name John Price, John Price. Bring that name to him and make him do the right thing. And God has, if we make those prayers and we make those petitions, God has to do something. He can say no, yes, maybe, but he's got to say something. Don't back off till you get some kind of answer from God. I'm preaching good now. I'm preaching good now. There were two Two businessmen, one was the developer and one was the contractor. Reminded me early years earlier when I was a developer, my brother was the contractor and he did all my work. And, and uh, these two had, had done all kinds of projects. I mean, this developer was me- mega wealthy, just, just one of the wealthiest men in the city. And one afternoon, this developer called the contractor and says, Hey, he said, uh, I need you to do a, a project for me. And uh, you've done some great projects, but I want this to be your best project. I want you to build about a 4,000, 5,000 square foot custom home. I want the best everything. I want the best landscaping. I want the best appliances. I want the best look. I want the best carpet, the best tile. I want you to spare no expense. I want you to build a house for me. Hung up the phone. Contractor got to thinking about all the years that he had served the developer. Been paid well for services. But he said to himself, he said, you know, this developer never built me a house. He never did anything nice like this for me. So when the contractor began the house, his heart was not in it. He used effective material. He used cheap labor. He put something together, got it, finished it, and told the developer, said, hey, we get to get, get together. I need to give the, the keys to your new house. And the developer said, no. He said, it's not my house. It's your house. All the years that you served me well, I wanted to bless you. I wanted to honor you. I wonder what kind of, yeah, I mean, how crazy is that? I wonder what kind of contributions that we are making to the kingdom of heaven that's making a significant difference anyway. I wonder what kind of church would this church be if every tithe payer was just like me? What kind of church would this church be if every praise and worshiper were just like me? What kind of church would this church be if every greeter was just like me? Wow. I wrote down something here about sowing to the greater good. When you partner with God, your money becomes exciting. Money answers all things. Your smile becomes just just overwhelming. I mean, when you just do something for God, it just seems like there's just a special splash of favor, just a special flash of movie. And you know what? It's not doing a great big gigantic thing that hurts or wounds. It's just being faithful to that, to that where where that, that baby eaglet recognizes the mother's voice as he's falling 
and she screams out to him to flap those wings in those, in those moments when a still, small voice just gives you a little nudge, follow that nudge. This past week, Pastor Rhonda will not mind me sharing the details because this goes right along with my closing and I am done. Um, she was somewhere, and I've, I've, enc- I've encouraged, I, en- I encourage everybody to be very careful about giving money away at the freeway. That guy makes about $40,000 a year, and uh, they know how to work us. They know how to milk it. But there are times when there's a legitimate need, and I think God will nudge you when that need is there. And she was somewhere and saw a guy that looked, looked pretty destitute. She left the parking lot, got on the main drag, and felt like that she disobeyed God, so she drove around Walmart and went back to where he was. And she only had $2. And uh, I think right now I have $4 in my wallet. We don't carry cash. It's just something that we do. It's something we don't do. Just, it's just we've been doing it for a long time. We just don't carry cash. Uh, we have debit cards, and that's how we manage most of what we do. But uh, she only had $2. And uh, Christine wasn't in the car. Christine would have freaked out if her mom would have pulled over to give money to a homeless guy. She rolled down the window a little bit. It's okay to be careful. And she handed that money, and he smiled at her. She said he had, he had warm eyes. She smiled at him, and she drove on down the road, uh, only to learn as the orthodontist contacted her Friday and said, you need to come by the office. We have uh, something for you. And when she got to the office, apparently she had, re- she had recommended her dentist to Misty or, or the orthodontist to Sherry Higgins. And because she had, and because Sherry had gone and, pay, and, and got his services, they gave her a $25 gift certificate at the spa where she could get a pedicure or manicure or whatever she wanted to get. She was in somewhere, and someone said, hey, he said, there, there's an envelope on the desk of Cook's, and it's got your name on it. Say what? There's an envelope on, on Cook's desk. So she went, asked for an envelope, and there was a $25 uh, food uh, card for, for Cook's. So, so you do the match. She sold $2. It was all that she had. It and, it, and, again, it's not that big a deal. It's the deal of obedience. It's, your, it's the deal of listening to the Lord and responding and following up on the things of God. So she sold $2, and she got $50. And I, I will not bore you, but I feel like there are stories of testimonies that excite us, that motivate us to take just a little bit of faith. This church... Over the past 20, we will be 28 years old, March 1st. This church has hosted, not some of, but this church has hosted the greatest ministries in the world. Fuchsia Pickett's been here. Phil Driscoll's been here four times. Perry Stone's been here 20 times. Marcus Lamb's been here a dozen times. Uh, And the list could go on. The Downings, uh, Steve who? Jensen's been here, uh, Judy's been here time and time and, and time again. But uh, several years ago, we had a ladies' conference. It was rocking. It was happening. And uh, that Sunday morning, our, we had three guests that week, and we blessed the guests. And the, the guest that Sunday morning was Paula White, and she was ministering. And uh, I felt impressed to take up an offering for her, her ministry. And while I was standing behind the pulpit, as I am right now, I put God I put God on the spot. I asked God to speak to Pastor Rhonda and give her an amount to sow in the offering. And what I did, I took a pen and I wrote down the amount that I was supposed to sow in the offering. And the amount I wrote down, I didn't have. And I knew I didn't have it, but I was going to get it. I was going to find it. I knew there's some things I could look at. I, I felt like this ministry warranted enough 
for me to feel it leave me and know that I sacrificed. And so I put Pastor Ron on the spot. And I said, what did you write down? Matter of fact, I think I called somebody up to read. I gave him my, my thing and your thing, and we both wrote $1,000. Well, right then and right now, $1,000 is a chunk of change. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of that's a, that's, a, that's a lot of pints of blood to dedicate to the blood bank. That's a lot of money. And so I got confused. I didn't know, did God want us to give 1000 because we're in agreement or 1000 each? I went ahead and took the offering. Before that offering was over, two different people met us and gave us a check for $1,000. We, we turned around and put that in the offering. Before I tell you what the offering was, before I tell you the offering, I need to tell you that three people bumped that offering almost $20,000. That offering that Sunday morning was $27,000. It was the largest single offering she had ever re- received in her ministry up to that point, $27,000. That is a significant amount of money. We wrote the check out to the penny, what the money. Didn't tell her. Didn't tell her. She went back to the motel, was praying. But in the afternoon, she felt impressed to call her husband, Randy, and said, hey, I feel like tonight I need to take up an offering for Hank and Rhonda. Had no idea. And I'm sure that I'm sure she knew it was going to be two or three thousand. We have a reputation of being very good to our evangelists, and we are very we've been very good to our evangelist, Billy Burke. I forgot to talk about him being here and ministering. And uh and so Randy said, Paul, if you feel like that's what you're supposed to do, do it. And so she came when she came to the house of God and we told her what the amount was, she obviously freaked out, got excited. And then she had already told Cindy, her, her, her armor bearer, what she intended to do. So it was documented. And uh, that night, what well, was so crazy, she had to be at the airport within just a few minutes. She ministered, great ministry, had just a few minutes to take up an offering and said she was taken up for Hank and Rhonda. I think it was five or 6000 It was $7,000. What was crazy, the next day we get a check in the mail. Daystar had received an incredible amount of money, and they took about, 50 churches that they loved and sowed seed, and we got a check Monday for $5,000. Tuesday, got a phone call, and it was a guy, since then we have preached for him, but when Pastor Ron and I got a divorce, I sold our home in Southern California. The guy I sold it to led the choir at the church that we were, or did something, his wife led the choir, something about the choir. But anyway, we sold, we sold him the, the house, and he owed $10,000 and never paid it. 20 years later, on a Tuesday morning, after we had taken the money that we received and sowed it, that, that Tuesday morning, he calls us, Hank said, I know that I owe you, you $10,000. But I, I said, Roger, I forgave that. We're talking about 20 years later. I said, Roger, we have forgiven that. You don't owe us anything. He said, no. And later I found out he had gone to Vegas and had won some money <laughs> and felt condemned over spending it. So he mails it to me. I didn't feel condemned at all. I felt like that was just wonderful, incredible. And what many of you do not know, the three times that Phil Driscoll was here, he never took a dollar for himself. All three times he was here, he took up an offering for a pastor, Rhonda and I. And then when all that junk went against Phil, we were able to send Mighty Horn Ministries $1,000 a month for several months to help them while they were going to their storms. I'm telling you, you can't outgive God. You can't beat God. He doesn't want you to give your grocery or your or your rental or your. But there are times when you could tear a chair down. There are times when you could open a car door. 
There are times when you can pay it forward. The person behind you honks because you moved to pay, pay, pay for their meal. There are things that you can do, and they're usually always nudges from God because God always blesses. And listen, it takes teamwork to make the dream work. And this church has an incredible dream, a phenomenal dream, and I believe that we can do it. Father, thank you for this teaching, for this season, for this moment, for the freedom in this house, for all.